One of the seemingly inescapable states of the human condition is that of grief. No matter what we do, we cannot escape the inexorable grasp grief will evidently have in our lives. Why then should we continue to move forward? Today, Bill Petrie will discuss the light that is God in the darkness of grief. Five months ago, my son Zachary was struck and killed by a car. My family entered a turbulent time of grieving. No matter how imminent or sudden the death of a loved one is, nothing prepares us for the roller coaster of emotions once they are gone. Their faces will never be seen again in this life, their laugh never heard their company never enjoyed. January 29th, 1991, Zachary came into this world. And I am a better person through having had him. Zachary was a talented musician, a loving, caring young man, a person who would rather do for others than ever have anyone do for him. He was witty, smart, and just plain funny. Zachary was an extraordinary young man and a fantastic musician. I remember back in middle school, he had entered his first musical competition and eventually won. He made the all-county band every year of high school. In his last two years in high school, he made the all-state band. He was offered a scholarship for music. But Zachary had an issue that very few of us can relate to. He had a mental illness, and it wasn't just any mental illness. It was a severe mental illness. If you have listened to this podcast in the past, we have had each year an episode entitled Mental Illness and the Stigma of Brokenness, and it airs in every March because it was in March when Zachary was diagnosed with this terrible disease. He was diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenia with paranoia. Zachary's way of dealing with such a horrific disorder was to try to make the voices and the images in his head disappear. And as so many individuals who have schizophrenia do, he began to self-medicate, which led to a roller coaster of drug addictions and mental illness. To Zachary's credit, at the end of his life, he was totally clean, and had been for over two years. 
There is a poem I would like to share with you. It is one that Zachary shared with me the last time we spoke together in person, which was in the month of October of 2022, where we were physically present in the same room at the Buffalo Psychiatric Center. The name of the poem is titled, Men Speak Up by Akin Alun Sanya, and hopefully I pronounced that name correctly. Here's the poem. My soul is burdened, seems like I'm in the dark, trapped, and my mind overwhelmed. A man with great pride had all, lost all. Everything in me yelling for help. Remember growing up as a young male, the world telling me, always be strong. Now I'm down on life's luck. A man going on to 34 with no navigation to weather the storm. Lost. Strange now I'm losing my sleep. No more appetite to eat. My once good health failing me. Paranoia, depression, bipolar personality disorder, schizophrenia. Come on, fellows. These are very real. My admonishment, therefore, is to men. Let us all speak up. Rise. Seek help. Get counseling. Embrace therapy. Know that mind cares. And a poem. Zach's struggle with mental health were indeed the inspiration for our annual Mental Health in the Stigma of Brokenness series. I want you to know, Zach, I want to tell you what you probably already know as well. Grief is an all-consuming, universal human experience, and it takes many forms. Parents grieve a child whose life is cut short, and unfortunately, I have had to grieve for two children, and I still, to some degree, grieve them. Children grieve a parent whose memory fades. A childless couple grieve what could have been and may never be. The ill and elderly grieve losing health and independence. And unprocessed grief can lead to illness and suffering of its own. And if we are not the ones grieving, we are an onlooker to someone else's grief. Just turn on the news and see the terrible suffering and grief from natural disasters, shootings, and wars. Families together one minute are irreversibly torn apart the next. 
what does this grief do to a person? What does this grief do for a person? What road are distraught families forced to travel? We mentally put ourselves in their shoes, trying to imagine how it feels. But it is too hard to do so. Grief is part of life. But why do we experience it? The evolutionist has evolutionary terms, and there is a conundrum for them. Do not the fittest survive and the weakest die out? Is not that the natural order of things? Surely grief hinders reproduction and therefore survival. Would not natural selection want to bypass such emotion? At this point, evolutionary biologists cite attachment theory. Staying together in families provides an evolutionary benefit, they say. Parents can protect their children and increase their likelihood of having offspring. Grief, then, becomes a reaction, according to them, to losing that protective relationship. Or, as John Archer, psychology professor and author of The Nature of Grief, defines it, and I quote, an alarm reaction set off by a deficit signal in the behavioral system underlying attachment, end of quote. The greater the attachment, the greater the grief. These are valuable insights into some of the mechanisms underlying grief, but they leave questions unanswered. Evolutionary biology cannot explain why we grieve an aging parent whose capacity to protect is long gone, or a long-term friend with whom we've lost contact, or why we sometimes grieve inexplicably over someone we have never met. I remember just a few weeks ago watching the world news, and I saw a picture of a nine-year-old boy at the funeral of his younger brother, killed in a bomb blast in Kiev. The expression on his face was enough. I was deeply touched and intensely sad for this little boy. His face galvanized my prayers. But why grieve on that boy's behalf when there is no attachment and no obvious benefit, evolutionary or otherwise? First, Christianity insists that we grieve because something is wrong. There is much good in this world 
all of which comes from God. Yet brokenness pervades it all. Why? Because in the Garden of Eden, humanity's relationship with God was fractured. The fall flung open the door to sin, suffering, and death. And yes, I am grieving the death of Zachary. I long to see him, to hold him, to see his smile, and to laugh with him. I long for my oldest son, Bobby, who passed away before he ever hit the age of two. I would love to see what kind of man he would have become. But I grieve for not being able to do so. Second, Christianity insists that God has handcrafted each person on the planet. There is intrinsic value, therefore, to every single person, regardless of his or her capacity to protect or extend the genetic line. So what else can be said? Three truths and purposes for grief come to my mind. And I want to talk about each of these. First, if God exists, our sense of loss does not need to be suppressed. Grief is an expression of injustice. Death is not natural. It is an aberration that jars against the core of our being, regardless of our, our attempts to rationalize it. In fact, our cries point toward God rather than away from him. Why? Why is the question so often on our lips amid tragedy and death? But this question raises another. Whom are you addressing? If God does not exist, as an evolutionist typically states, or an atheist would state, there is no one to ask. I believe we instinctively ask why. And the reason we do is because we know instinctively that God does exist and he hears our cries. The Bible is packed with people being real with God about their circumstances, expressing a whole range of emotions. 
the writer of Psalm 22 cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Job, who loses everything, does not hold back his grief. He and the psalmists help us find words for our own experience or even to accept that there are often no words. Job had some friends who cared for him very much. Job chapter 2 and verse 13 records this. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. In such times, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It is not always pretty, but God comes close to those who bring their grief to him rather than suppress it. This brings me to our second truth and purpose for grief. And that is number two. Since God exists, we do not grieve alone. At the heart of the Christian faith is one who says he is always with us and who stared grief and loss square in the face. Isaiah described him as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering and acquainted with grief in Isaiah 53.3. When Jesus experienced the death of his close friend Lazarus, he wept. And those are the words that John 11.34 records, making it the shortest verse in the entire Bible. He wept. Just before and while on the cross, Jesus took grief and loss to unfathomable depths. Consider the words of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. God is not immune or indifferent to grief. He has experienced it at the deepest level possible. And this same God is with us in our grief. 
He does not always tell us why we are suffering, but he does offer us himself. The Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles are the words the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. In our, at this present time, this comfort is real. The whole process of God giving us comfort draws us closer to him. It drives us to him. It allows him to strengthen us, nurture us, comfort us, share our misery with us. But most importantly, it drives us to him. It makes us dependent upon the person who is love. After all, did he not also experience profound grief when his son became our sacrifice for sin? And third, since God exists, and since his son was our sacrifice for sin, there is an expectation beyond the grave. Grief does not need to be suppressed, nor does it need to bury us. Job, in the middle of his troubles, makes an incredible profession of faith. He states, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, in my flesh, I will see God. He tells us in Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. Jesus standing in front of Lazarus's tomb. 2,000 years later, brings incredible hope out of deep despair. Psalm 22 ends in victory. There is hope. If God does not exist, as an evolutionist would say, this is the only life we got. Death marks the end, and the loss is permanent. But since we know he does exist, then death does not have the last word. Jesus has defeated it. And one day, he will remove it entirely. So the loss of my dear son, Zachary, is but a temporary separation. A loss that was needless 
a loss that was senseless, a loss where an individual driving a vehicle that should not have had a license struck and killed an innocent pedestrian crossing the street. Yes, Zachary was taken from me. And yes, his mental anguish ended when his life was extinguished. But the Apostle Paul Wright wrote something so profound to the Corinthian church that I cannot help but share it with you. He writes in the 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 40, going down through verse 58, some pretty amazing things. And I just want to read a few of these for you. All flesh, verse, verse 39 states, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Now pay attention to what the Apostle Paul writes next. So also is the resurrection of the dead. In our resurrection, we will receive glory. Just as one star differs from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The Apostle Paul, going further down in the passage, writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now listen, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us 
the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of these truths, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The day will come when I will be caught up together with all those who have died or those who are believers and alive at the time will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We will have celebration. Death does not have the last word. Jesus Christ defeated it when he became our sin offering. Simply believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, simply believing that and trusting that places me into a relationship with God that can never, ever be undone. Never. It gives me comfort. It allows his spirit to give utterance to things I can't even utter. It allows him to comfort me. And my comfort comes because I know that death does not have the last word. We will be victorious over it because our Savior was victorious over it. Jesus Christ defeated death. And one day, one day soon, he will remove it entirely. And on that day, God himself will personally wipe away all our tears and bury our grief for good. And we will rejoice when we are all together with Jesus Christ, marveling at the comfort that he has brought to us in submitting all of us to the Father. This is what grief does. It makes us long for our reunion together. The moment when we see our Savior face to face, when sorrow leads away. Good day, and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, 
www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.